Well, I'm so glad you guys are here today. I literally got up to walk up here just now, and I felt like my kneecap went sideways. And I thought, 2021, awesome. No, it's going to be good. You know, God is so good, and he's so faithful. And I have had such, such a strange 2020 because it has not felt good on the outside necessarily and what I see I've had sorrow. I see people around me who have gotten sick or lost people, and it can be devastating. And on top of that, there's just the regular life and heartbreaks that happen in people's lives. So 2020, on the outside, for some people, it's been breakthrough year, and that's awesome. But for a lot of people, it has been a little what I like to call, I use the word a lot, disorienting. It's been disorienting. And so in 2020, that on the outside, there's been this this being disoriented. And yet on the inside, what I have found is that God has been such an anchor in my life, that God has been so faithful to lead, to guide, to direct to hold me, and that may be really weird, sometimes I say things that are girly, but to really hold me in times where I felt like the world was spinning. Have you ever gotten off, remember when you used to have those merry-go-rounds? Maybe 2020 was like the merry-go-round a little bit, you know? And you'd, you'd get off the merry-go-round and um, the, those crazy things at the park. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Not the horsey one, right? Yeah. And so, and you get off of that and you could like walk and, you know, fall down and it was funny. But um, that's how last year was on the outside. And yet on the inside, God has been phenomenally awesome in my life. And I pray that he's been that way for you. And you know, we're looking at 2021, like Reagan said, man, it is, it takes a lot of faith to step back a minute and not to keep doing what you've always done. And we're looking at small groups and we're like, what is it? What would God have us to do in seasons like we're in? And I don't know about you, but we're looking at the church and the new kind of world we're living in right now that we're not sure what it's going to look like this year or the next. But what we're seeing is there's a lot of people who do not quite understand the context of God's word in the context of a crazy world right? And so what we want to do next September is to try to build the body in the context of God's word, in the true context of God's word, not on how we feel about God's word or what we would think it would mean now in God's word, but like true context. You know what I'm saying? Like for us to know why we believe what we believe, because we believe If we are going to stand firm in the Lord against the attacks of the enemy that is real, that we are going to have to know who we are. First, we got to know who God is, who we are, and what he says we can do in his name. And so that is what we're looking at in 2020. So it is good to love God and it is good to be his child. And so we're super, super excited Every time that I speak, I always have this little like thing where I think like I've been at New Hope for so long and I always remember because I was 16 when I started coming to New Hope and so, you know, now I'm 
going to be 46 this year, so that means I've been here how long, like 30 years. And I think about like prayer and fasting, and, and I think of like all the years that I've been at New Hope that we've been doing prayer and fasting. So it represents a lot of time in my life and in seasons where I have had the opportunity to fast and to pray. And really, Pastor Bowen, um, from the time I was young, would get up and talk about, it's very natural for him. He's a, he, he does a corporate fast, but he will do personal fasts. And, and he would share, and it was just such a natural thing that for me as someone in this house, I too begin to develop this relationship, this discipline in my life um, of fasting and praying. And so I'm so grateful for that because what I have found is, is I've had seasons of incredible breakthrough in prayer and fasting. And I've also had seasons where I've learned a lot about myself in prayer and fasting. And so uh, we get a lot of questions this time of year about prayer and fasting. So what I wanted to do today was to kind of talk about prayer and fasting, what what that needs to look like, because we kind of can come in and think that everybody has a context for fasting. And so we want to we wanna talk a little bit, kind of break it down and simplify it, and also kind of lay a little bit of expectation of what we feel um, God would have for us in that season. And so first, before we start, I'm going to read my text for today. So if you will stand up with me, I'm going to read this and we're going to pray. Um, in Luke 5, 33 30, through 35, um, they said to him, John's disciples, so they're saying to Jesus, John's disciples, this is um, John the Baptist, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking, Jesus answered. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come, um, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. So everybody say, they will fast. Amen. God, I thank you so much, Lord, that everyone who is here, Lord, has the ability to hear your word, has the ability to receive your truth, and has the ability to walk it out by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you will um, use this time as a catalyst for us in this season of prayer and fasting. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. So all the questions. So we get a lot of questions um, throughout the year about different things that we do. And some of you might be the ones who send them in, like, um, and it, you know, very respectful, very nice. You know, just, hey, I have a quick question. Um, why do we do this? Or why did you say that? And it's really good because it gives us perspective sometimes that we we just take for granted or we think that maybe people um, n like know what we're talking about because it's easy for for me especially to kind of jump in the middle of a sentence and start talking and you know Reagan will go what, what are we even talking about you know and I'm like I've already been there in my head for a while so sometimes that happens even in church work because what we do is we're working and we're talking about this and then suddenly it's like we're here to communicate it and we sometimes 
sometimes can feel like y'all have been here with us the whole time and we're just in this thing together. But for a lot of us, we're coming into faith. Some of us may be newer. Some of us um, may be more seasoned in our relationship with the Lord. So I'm going to answer some questions that we often get, if that's okay with you. All right, so you'll notice that we do prayer and fasting um, in January, but you'll also notice that we actually do prayer in September. So both of those we call 21 days. In September, we call it 21 days of prayer. And in January, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. Why September and why um, January. And um, I'm sure that you know in January and in September, those are catalyst months to me. Okay? I feel like those are times where everybody is ready for change or a new system, or it's, it's just a natural time that we want to do better. You know, for me in September, I am a mom, um, and now it's August because school starts so late, but you know, I get, I go by the pretty calendars that I intend to, to be consistently writing through all year and props to all you mothers who are incredibly consistent for the whole school year. But I start out in September and I buy the pretty calendars and the stickers and color coding. And I intend to do all these awesome things, you know, and that is a month for, for me. I'm like, if I am going to, um, to be diligent, not to miss appointments, that I do that. I have done that before. And all these areas where I feel like I'm scrambling, this is my chance to reset. Same thing in January. I think in in December, we kind of get, you know, like we're feasting a lot in December, right? And we're doing all the things and we're out of schedule. So in January, we often, even if you're not church, Everyone has this whole idea, and uh, you know, you go into Walmart or Target, and they know it too because they have out everything you would want for organization, you know, for that restart. And I love every minute of it. And so, anyway, so those are natural catalysts for the year. So that's why we do what we do. So we're hoping that in this 21 days, that you are going to take this opportunity to use this fast as a catalyst in your walk with the Lord. Amen. Okay. Why do we couple prayer with fasting? You may say, duh, we already know that, but I just want to answer that question. Nobody really asked that, but I'm going to answer it because it's more than just a spiritual discipline that we are to do every day. You know, if you know the Lord's prayer, Jesus says that when, when he's telling us how to pray, he says, give us this day our daily bread is how we're supposed to pray. I love that because when he says, give us this day our daily bread, he knows that we have a lot of needs. And he doesn't want us to pray at the top of the month and then meet him there next month. He is like saying right there, this is a daily discipline. Like, come, because I want to have a relationship with you. Like, I don't often um, ever have never, you know, met with Reagan and had a meeting at the beginning of the month and said all I needed to say. That's weird right? But sometimes if we don't have that spiritual discipline, we can miss those moments. So we want to again say to you, we're not only fasting, because that can become a holy hunger strike really, without the coupling of prayer. So we believe that prayer not only is a spiritual discipline, but it also gives us accountability in our fasting, because when you're fasting and you go before the Lord, your motives then are usually seen, right? 
And so it is a great tool for accountability. It's a great opportunity. And then also, it's just an anchor, too, of keeping it pure. It is not about us. Fasting is not about us. It takes us a lot of self-control, a lot of effort, but it is not about us. It is about God. And so we couple prayer with fasting. People often ask, you know, I don't even really know what to do. How do what do I do? Like, am I supposed to do a total food fast? Am I supposed to do the Daniel fast? If you don't know what that is, you can Google it. I will mess it up verbally right now. But it is like there, there are different things. You can, you can withhold foods. You can look to different foods. Some people do total fast. Um, if you have health issues, oftentimes you may choose to do like a variation of a fast so that you can, you can get what you need into your body. And we want you to be smart about your fast too. And so um, there, I know in the kids department, we really encourage fasting also. Like what, what we've done in the past has been so cool to see kids um, fast. And uh, I know uh, Rachel has had times where the kids just fast, like for three days they fast sugar, you know, which is very doable. And then times where they fast whatever, they're gaming or they're electronics. And my kids have participated in those fasts and it's been great because it's taught them that they are going to have to set aside the things they love and they like, the things they want, and they're going to take, take some time and sacrifice for the Lord and hopefully us as parents, we're teaching what it looks like to do that couple with prayer, right? And so for the youth, the same thing. I know we've had, we've had creative ideas and, and challenges for the youth. And so we say that also, like fasting biblically talks about food. But some of us are at a place where maybe we just, we have something that is our obsession. It is something we know even we don't want to call it an idol in our life, and we and it, maybe it's just not even that strong of a thing. But there's something that t- has our affection and our focus, and it would be a really great time to set that aside and use that time to lean into relationship with Jesus. And so we want to encourage you to do that. Okay, so how do I prepare for a fast? We do get that, and um, I'm glad you asked that because it is important to prepare for a fast. That's kind of why we do um, the sermon a week before we start because we don't want to talk about prayer and fasting and then you guys just suddenly scramble together and just go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we want a lot of prayer and intention put into this 21 days. And we're going to talk about, in just a minute, we're going to talk about God's conversation with Israel um, in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about, um, we're gonna, I'm going to show you what Jesus says to them, but you're going to see when we talk about it, that Jesus, before the fast, wants our hearts to be clean before him. He wants us to obey him and to do what's right and to have open ears. So I would say to prepare for fast, before you ask, like before you get all focused on what kind of fast you're gonna do, you get before your God and you ask the Lord um, if there is any, for some of us, you know, sometimes I pray and I know exactly what I need to give to the Lord. 
And then there are times where I think I am winning, which I'm always winning in Jesus, right? But there are times where I feel like I've, you know, I'm pre, I feel like I cannot think of anything and I go to the Lord and then I realize, man, I actually have a little bit of unforgiveness. I got to deal with that. You know, and, and a question we do get sometimes is um, because we talk about repenting, like coming to the Lord. We need to come to the Lord when we sin. And one of the questions we often get is, um, do, am I going to hell if I don't remember to repent for every sin? And so I want to say to you today, when we talk about a lifestyle of repentance, we are not talking about a lifestyle of having to repeatedly repent, repent for your eternal salvation. We are talking about coming to the Lord with a, a heart that is submitted to him not trying to control all these areas where we're struggling, but to come before the Lord with a soft, humble heart and inviting him into the mess and working our salvation out with fear and trembling. And when we recognize our sin and we bring it to God, there is a faithfulness on his part that will blow your mind if you do not try to do things on your own. So it is so powerful to continually come before the Lord in the areas that you struggle. So before you fast, deal with, deal with like go to the Lord and, and get into it with him. Like what, what do we need to, to look at here? So that's the first thing, because what I found in the past is I know people who have glaring, and this is when I say I know people, I'm basically saying joy in the past. Okay, I have glaring things right here, but I want to fast because I want a breakthrough in this area. And I know I'm being selfish in other areas of my life. And I know that I might have unforgiveness. And I know this, but you know what? I have an area where I need a breakthrough, so I'm going to fast, and God better do it for me because in his word, we know that, that fasting is important, and that is not the way to do a fast. You have to have the foundation of obedience and humility in a fast if you really want to see God do awesome things in your fast. Okay, so we're going to look at Zechariah 7. We're going we're gonna to look at how God um, talks to uh, his people. They are, basically the setup is, is Israel was in captivity in Babylon. And that's when we hear, if you know about Daniel in the Bible, you know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that all happened when they were in captivity in Babylon. So then they come out of captivity. God delivers his people, but then this is what happens, okay? In the fourth year of King Darius, the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, the month of Kislev. The people of Bethel sent Sharazar and Regimelech. Reagan said, I just read it really fast and y'all won't care. Okay, together with their men to, to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done so for many years? Okay, so what they're saying is we for 70 years have been mourning being in captivity. And we're wanting to know this was not a fast that God had necessarily told them to do. 
God did not say to New Hope, fast January for 21 days. What he has done is as authority set, we know that that's a natural time of year that can be a catalyst. So in wisdom, we call a fast because we know the value of breakthrough at this time of year, right? So when they were um, in Babylon, they essentially started mourning being in Babylon. Now it made sense because for Israel, when they, the people of Israel would fast, they actually fasted in a way that was like mourning in solidarity for a particular thing. So like in this case, it was their captivity. They would, they would fast in mourning. They would fast when, they were, when there were sieges. They would fast in destruction. They, they often, fasting was associated with a mourning. So it makes sense. So they're, they've been mourning for 70 years. Problem is, is they're not even victims anymore. They're not even, they're not even in captivity. And yet they're wanting to know, should they still mourn captivity? So how do you think God feels about it, okay? Well, you'll find out when I change my notes. <laughs> okay, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priest. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh month, so this is like twice a year, was it literally for me that you fasted? The Lord has literally asked me that before. There have been times where I have fasted because I did not know what to do. And it wasn't in a desperation for God, but in a desperation for an answer, which is not completely terrible, but it can't be devoid of our pursuit of God. And the focus cannot be the pursuit of an answer. And so he's saying here, like when you fasted, I mean, was it for me? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? You know what that says to me? It says to me that even when we celebrate, we celebrate as unto Jesus. There are times when we are celebrating to celebrate the good things of God. And they're using this, these feasts that were supposed to be meant for God and this fasting. And they're using it to recount, to reminisce. You could say to wallow, to make the suffering the focal point. Because we're not seeing here a celebration of God's faithfulness and his goodness. What we're seeing is, and in, in, in culture, that was, they did that. It would have made sense had they been in, in, in Babylon. Because here's the thing about pain and suffering and sorrow is that we can, we can sit there. There's a time for it. Reagan talked about there's, dark, like there's pain. There's that night and a, a time where it's like, it's, a, it's kind of an appointed time where, where things can be hard. But we are not supposed to land and live in that. What a thing to say to God, I know you've delivered me, but I can't get past this. And so God is saying here, like, you're doing these things, but you're not doing it for me. I'm going to skip down to verse 8. It says, and the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Everybody say True justice. Okay, show mercy and compassion to one another. 
Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against one another. So this is implying here that what they're not doing is they're not showing true justice. They're not showing mercy or compassion. Man, you would think as people who are in captivity, who would be more compassionate than people who know what it's like to suffer? But because their suffering was their focal point, they couldn't get on mission. Because we know through God's word that the purpose, God had a purpose for these people. They, they, they weren't just to be his and be in relationship with him and, and hog all of the awesomeness of God. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. And they couldn't be a light to the nations because all they could do is think about their captivity and they couldn't get past it. And so what we see here is God is angry and he, and and we see they're not doing justice. They're not showing mercy. They're not being compassionate. And then he has to say, do not do this, which means they were doing it. And this is what they were doing. They were oppressing the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner and the poor. And it seems to me like they were plotting evil against each other. That's a lot of energy for all those things when really we should have been outward focused the whole time right? They should have been. And so here we see this. And then here's 11. And here's the, here's what breaks my heart. It says, but they refuse to pay attention. And then it says stubbornly. What's the root of being stubborn? You don't want to be called a mule, do you? I have been called that. That's pride. That's, that's gross in the eyes of God. And it says, stubbornly, they turned their backs and they covered their ears. What a progression. You get stubborn, and then you just turn away from it because it's not what you want to hear. And then you cover your ears because you're not going to hear it. And we've all done it, right? And it says, they made their hearts as hard as flint, and would not listen to the, to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent through, by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord was very angry. In verse 13, when I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. Now, is that God just being hateful because they won't hear and he's just angry? It's because their prayers are so corrupt God will not answer our prayers when they are selfish and corrupt because he's good. That's a scary thing if if our God bends to our will when it's corrupt. And so God, out of his goodness, turns turns his his ears and he does not hear them. In 14, I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations and they were and they were strangers. So basically saying, I gave them over to their enemies. The land they had left behind was so desolate that no one traveled through it. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. And, you know, the sad thing is, is that when we replace relationship with ritual and religion, those places become desolate. We see it in churches. We see it in people's lives. I mean, how many of us have known people that have had a passion and a love for God and then their hearts begin to harden over time? 
because they've turned their backs and they didn't want to listen because at some point, something they love took center stage. Some idea that they had, some suffering sometimes that they've had, and suddenly the external world doesn't matter, the inward world, and they're gonna, they turn their self away and, and they're desolate now. There's nothing sad, more tragic than someone who's turned their back on the Lord because you just see it. All right, so now I wanna go to the New Testament because that's better, really. That's awesome. So we're gonna go to the New Testament and we're gonna look at what fasting was there because here's the thing, in the Old Testament, we see God has not changed. Like God doesn't do away with the, the Old Testament. When Jesus comes, what Jesus does is he calls everything from the law to a place of purity. Is what he does. He actually takes it deeper, so to speak, because they had to do so many outward works in the Old Testament. So now he's going to talk a little bit deeper about what fasting is. In fact, we see from the scripture that I talked, I talked with um, a minute ago, the, the text verse in Luke 5, we'll go ahead and put that up there. Um, we're going to talk about how John's disciples, John the Baptist, his disciples, went to Jesus and was questioning him about fasting. Think about it is Jesus would have grown up going to the temple. He was Jewish, obviously. So he participated in fasts because he was Jewish. And his disciples participated in, in the ritual fast of the, the, their culture. Um, they have it on their calendar. They would have their fast. And so they would have participated in fasting. But Jesus went on, he was on the Mount um, I think he was on the Mount of Olives. He was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, at the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins to talk about fasting in regards to the Pharisees. And he says, you know, the Pharisees, when they fast, they do it really loud. And they do it to put on a show. You know, I have noticed in fasting and prayer and even just being a Christian, we get saved and we love God with all of our hearts. But if what, what happens is, is if we're not careful, we can, be, we can begin to try to impress others in our relationship with the Lord. We want to be an example and maybe we start thinking too much of ourselves and then we're putting on a show. Or, or not that, but for some of us, the propensity might even be to try to impress God with the things that we do. Maybe some of you, your, your lean isn't like you don't even care what anybody thinks. But then God, it's like I want to impress him so much. So. And so Jesus and Matthew, he, he talks about prayer and fasting right before the Lord's Prayer. And I think it's Matthew 6. And he begins to describe, he's like, man, when you, when you pray, you're doing it like this. Like some of you are being so loud in front of everybody. And then some of you, like you're, you're doing all these words. These impre- like have you ever heard somebody pray and then all of a sudden they don't even use the words they use in real life? You know, and they begin to use other things and say other things. And he's like, here's the thing like you're doing all this and what the Lord really wants is an authentic conversation with you where you acknowledge who he is you acknowledge his supremacy in your life and you're yielded to him like he gives you this the Lord's prayer it's a beautiful thing so Jesus talks about prayer and fasting 
We see Jesus when he's baptized and Jesus comes out of the water and the dove descends, the voice from heaven comes, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We see Jesus then goes into the wilderness and there he is tempted by the enemy. He's fasting and he withstands the temptations of the enemy and then literally goes into his ministry. So we see Jesus is not a stranger to fasting at all. Jesus believes in fasting. He is a Jew. His disciples would have also um, had a culture of fasting. So when they say to him in verse, I think it's verse um, 34, 35, it says, Jesus answered, how can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. In those days, they will fast. Basically, Jesus is saying, like, fasting up till now has all been about, like, mourning and remembrance. And right now, these guys don't have any reason to mourn. They were, they were low society. They were Jews who, who probably did the, the things they were supposed to do, but nobody really saw them. The work they did wasn't even, like, me, like super meaningful for their culture. And then a savior comes onto the scene and he looks at him and sees him. That's what we all want to be seen, right? And he knows their name and he calls them out and he believes in them because he knows what he can do through them. And so they are like walking with God in flesh on the earth. They, are, they have value that they have never known before. You want them to mourn? You want them to fast and do like fasting like y'all have been doing? Now's not the time for that. They're going to fast. But right now, right now they're eating it up. Right now they're with me. It would be really strange if we were to say to a, a couple who just, they're going on their honeymoon, like ask them why they're not mourning the passing of their spouse when they've just, they're not there yet right? It wouldn't even make sense because it's a time of joy. It's a time of celebration. So Jesus is saying to them, he's like, look, now is not the time for that. So you know what that says to me is fasting is going to look real, real different. Fasting is going to, it's going to look different from the Old Testament. In fact, I want to read, I want to read the, the bottom of that. Let's put that verse back up in Luke. The bottom of, I think, 39. Okay. So he told him this parable. No one tears a piece of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one who pours new wine into old wineskins, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the, the old is better. The Lord, I mean like, I remember it was around the time Noah was born. I don't know why I associate it with that, but it was around that time that the Lord actually really highlighted this in my heart. And I really had, didn't have, if I'm honest, a lot of understanding of this parable because frankly, I am not Jewish and I do not understand wineskins or patching or I don't know anything. So as I've gotten older and begin to study the word and really begin to learn Jewish culture and things of that, it begins 
begins to make a little more sense. So I'm going to just kind of go there with you. So what is a wineskin? Okay, so a wineskin was essentially uh, an animal a lot of times a goat, um, that they would just use the skin of that. Now, I wanted to do something really cool because someone said once, y'all have a big screen. Why don't we put stuff on that screen? And so I thought, I'm going to do that thing. They said, well, then I looked up wineskins, and there were so many different pictures, and some scared me because it looked, there were some wineskins that looked like an animal without feet that were just sewn up at the little things, and then no head, and then there's like this leather body, and I thought, no way, I'm not doing that. I can't stand in front of that, that thing. And then, um, then there were some that were cuter, like little canteen, leather canteens that had cute stitching. And then I thought, I don't know which is true. I can't do it. So you will have to do that on your own. I encourage you to do it. Because here's the thing. Um, wine skins in the Bible were used to not just carry wine. It could have been milk. It could have been oil, different things. They said cheese, which, you know, in that ugly animal, just I don't know how appealing that would be, Um, but it, it was to carry a lot of things. But here's the thing is when wine was poured into it, wine would have been poured into it before it was like fermented, right? So when things ferment, what do they do? They expand, okay? And so if new wine would be poured into an old stretched out wine skin, it would pop open, right? It wouldn't work. So what that's saying to me is new wine, and we know the Bible talks about Jesus coming, and what he was doing would be like new wine, right? So it says to me, if I want to experience the awesome new things that Jesus has to offer in my life, I have got to be a new wineskin, because new wine and old wineskin cannot coexist, and that old wineskin is the traditions that, that were set in place that did not include relationship with God, but just spiritual activity. But he's having this conversation because he knows that humans love ritual. We love it. In fact, if you do church work, you learn real quick that there are a lot of things that people love at a church, in a church service. There are things that we have done as tools to equip God's people, and we've done it for many years, and suddenly, if that's not there, everything breaks loose. Because what that was is that ritual became the, the thing. Instead of Jesus doing all the things he's meant to do, the method became the wineskin. The new wine couldn't function in it anymore. It served its purpose. But now, if we don't have that wineskin, the wine can't even be there. Listen, I'm talking about church work, but this is the same in our life. We as individuals have things in our life, especially if you're older, you have ways you've related to the Lord that worked in a season that do not work anymore. And we have ways that we related to God, but, but we should be grown up now. There are things that we did that stirred our feels, but now... We should be eating the meat of God's word. We should be doing and not just sitting there trying to get that feeling. So what he's saying here is like, if you want this new wine, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have be that new wineskin. Why are we fasting and praying? We want to be new wineskins. God doesn't want to mend a wineskin. He wants to make it new. 
He's not a mechanic with our hearts. He doesn't just want to come and like fix the things in it. The Bible says he'll give us a new one. And so what God wants to do is he wants to come in. He wants to to make us new. He doesn't want to just work with our old systems, but he wants to come in and transform and renew us and set us free. He wants us to be so open to change because change means that we can go forward because maybe something that wasn't working with our kids, maybe what worked when they were little are not working now, and we need a strategy from the Lord, but it feels more comfortable to do this than to trust you over here, Lord. What about in our marriage? In our marriage, we've been this way, we've been this way, we've been this way, and God wants to transform our marriages, but we're not going to budge. And it's not a marriage problem. It's an us and God problem sometimes. God wants us to be new. He wants to always be be creating this newness in us. And there is no room for the old. You know, at the bottom of this scripture, it kind of always tripped me up because it says, no one drinking the old wine wants the new wine. And I'm like, what? Because the other part of God, a little bit, what does that mean? And the more I look at it and the more I read, they're saying, that's what Jesus is saying. Like, no, it's almost like Jesus is saying, you know what? Like, if you've got a taste for the old wine, that means you just like sweet. You just like an easy tasting thing. Like, you just, you want it to be mild and good because new wine is going to be a little bitter and a little brash. It's going to be, it's going to feel a little harsh on your palate. But let me tell you, the bunny trails that I go on when I'm studying, I was studying, I'm like, well, new, new wine, old wine. You know, and I'm looking at wine, and they're like, new wine actually has more antioxidants. It actually has the, the, the best life-giving things for our bodies are actually in the new wine. So just because we crave it doesn't necessarily mean it's the best thing for us. And the best thing you can do in your walk with the Lord is be ready for change because it is always coming. But it's not coming because God wants to disorient us. It's coming because he demands authentic relationship. And if you do what you've always done, you don't need him to work it. But if you are in relationship with the Lord, on the other hand, you trust him day by day when you're doing the thing you've always done, a flag comes up and you're like, I'm not doing that again. That didn't work. Actually, I feel like the Lord is leading me to do this. I don't even know why. Man, we need Jesus. And we are, we are living in, in a false sense of reality. In fact, when we look at God's word and we look at this 21 days of prayer and fasting, I want to challenge you to look at this time of prayer and fasting as a time for perspective and a time for power. If you walk away from this 21 days and you have seen yourself in the mirror of God's word, And in time spent with him, your life will be changed forever. If you walk away from 21 days and the spirit has led you with such power, like did Jesus to come out of the wilderness to go into ministry. If God has has empowered you and stirred your faith in such a way that you even tell one person about him, wow. Because what we have reduced fasting to in so many ways is it's like, I'm going to do this because I need this breakthrough with this and this and this, and that's good. 
We, we need to fast when we need breakthrough. Don't get me wrong. But it becomes unhealthy whenever we're trying to build a lifestyle of fasting off of a life of disobedience and empty relationship. God wants us. He wants to use us. He wants to show us who we really are. I've been, I've been watching a lot of things about self-awareness because I, I do get on these bunny trails. And, and um, you know, we are as good as the mirror that we will see ourselves in. It's true. I actually, like, I told Reagan I'm going to tell this, but in his office, like his old office, he had a, a bathroom, and it had a full-length mirror in it. And every time I'd come to work and I'd have to go to the bathroom in his office, I would stand there and look at myself, and I had skinny legs and look cute. I was like, oh, this is the awesome mirror. But then we got a new mirror at home because I don't have full-length mirrors really anywhere. And so then we got this mirror at home, and all of a sudden, that was not good. It was not good. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, whoo, because I, you know, I've never had thin legs in my entire life. So at work, it was like really working. At home, not so hot. So you know what I did? I chose to believe the work mirror because I liked it better. It's true, true story, actually. And I didn't feel relieved until Reagan one day said, what is the deal with the mirror in our bedroom? I always look so bad in it. And I'm like, yes, like, you know, it's the mirror. But you know what? Here's the thing. We cannot, we cannot fully know ourselves as self-aware as I want to be. I, can, I don't know me because I'm always deceiving myself. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. Have you ever taken a personality test? You know? They're only as good as the true information you're going to put in them, right? And so here's the thing, like, we as God's people cannot look into mirrors that we think are telling the truth or the people around us necessarily who tell us what we want to hear. We have got to look into the mirror of God's truth. When it says true justice, even earlier, I mean, my, my mind goes crazy because I'm like, why would God have to say true justice? There are just things in life that we want to take hold of. Maybe it's our opinion about ourselves. It's about how we should do something. It's about what we should be doing. If we struggle with control, this is especially true. We see what we want to see. And what God desires is to be the mirror that shows us truth so we can move on and do great things in his name because it is about him and not about us. We don't want to look at us just so we see us. We want to look at ourselves so we can put away everything that would block the view of God in our life. Let's stand up. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for 21 days of prayer and fasting. I thank you, God, that you are going to use this time to give us perspective in who we are, God, who you are, and Lord, what you desire from us. God, I thank you that you're gonna give the power to us by your Holy Spirit to be who it is that you've told us that we are, to receive who it is that you are, and to do what you called us to do. You are awesome, you are worthy, it is all about you. Help us to have self-control in these 21 days to do the, the hard part of denying ourselves, but Lord, getting so lost in the fact that you are awesome, 
that it's not even a thing, God. I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you for everything that you've done, but God, I thank you for what you are gonna do. We anticipate great things in 2021. We anticipate great things in your kingdom and for your people. In Jesus' name.